Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Welcome to 2019. Happy New Year. I hope you had an amazing one. I'm Brian Sheffy. Hey, I'm Danya. Happy New Year to you guys. So again, hope um, 2019 has been kind to you and let's let's just kind of jump in. So first of all, our sincere apologies because the wonderful guest that we had scheduled for today uh, won't be able to join us due to unforeseen circumstances. So rather than you know cancel the show, we just wanted to open it up, have a general uh, talk about genealogy and please ask your question. You know, if you have any kind of brick walls, if you need help coming up with a genealogy research strategy, anything like that, just please ask, ask your questions. We'll open it up and um, have a really good conversation. Yeah, um, I'm really feeling kind of bad about that, that whole thing, you know, with our person not being able to come in. But we do hope to talk with them um, really soon because we really want to pull in the DAR. We want to we want to start including everybody. We want to make sure everybody is is being touched on because researching is such a difficult thing to do and it's so much easier when you have somebody to do it with you or when you have um somebody to bounce your ideas off of and and things of that nature. So um yeah, I I'm also I just wanted to do an extra apology on that. <laughs> so again, a um, couple of shout outs as, as usual at the start of the show. Um, hi, Deborah from Chicago. Happy to see you again. God, thank you for joining us in the new year. Hello, Mary from Maryland. And hello, as always, Karen, from De who joins us from Denmark. Yes, yes. I was actually getting ready to just do that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd steal your thunder a bit today. Oh, no, um, that's okay. It's, it's an equal thunder. <laughs> <laughs> See, Brian is my right-hand man. I can bounce anything off of him. I, I, yeah, so I want you guys to have what I have in Brian. That's my man. I love him to death. Well, again, I mean, we're kind of really spoiled because we have such, um, and again, you know, we all met through DNA. Um, you know, none of us grew up together. None of us even met each other until a, few, until a handful of years ago. But, you right. know, we have a really good working genealogical group for South Carolina. That's what, we're about eight, eight of us now? Probably three or four of us speak more often than, um, than, than the whole group. But yeah, right. you know, we know what research is like. You know, it's the part of research that no one really likes to discuss. But, you know, it's the, there are days you just get really angry or really annoyed because it's just tough. You're trying to find that proof. You're trying to break through those brick walls. You're trying to find the right records that are going to answer the questions that you have. And it's tough going when you do it on your own. So, I mean, at least, you know, with dying and I, if we get frustrated or annoyed, or it's like, you are not going to believe what I just found, which is a conversation we had yesterday. Um, and it's something that I never take for granted. I, I really do appreciate that, you know, I can just pick up the phone, either vent or laugh or whatever reaction we're going to have. Um, yeah. And just know that I'm not, I'm not on my own kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah, he's he's really, yeah, Brian has been that that person for me. I mean, technically, Brian, we just had that you do not believe right <laughs> before this conversation. So <laughs> right before we started with the stuff that we're finding in our own family. So, um, 
it looks like it's just you three ladies today so far. Do any of you have anything, any brick walls that you guys have? You know, because we're, we're opening it up to you guys. We want everybody to be a part of this. We want more, we want to make sure that we're, we're touching all facets of genealogy, no matter what. And even if we don't know, we it, it's something for us to look for and to start learning about. Yeah. And, you know, to give you a, a real world example of what I'm struggling with at the moment, um, I kind of started developing um, a second kind of genealogy research group because as a lot of you know, um, I finally found the identity of my Jewish great-grandfather um, on my maternal side of the family. And I know nothing about Jewish genealogy. Um, tried taking a couple of stabs at it. It is as challenging and as difficult as enslaved African-American genealogy. There's, a, there's so many parallels there. Um, but, you know, learning about Jewish naming conventions or, you know, they have a public name and then they have private family names and those names can appear on documents and it's, it's been, a, been a real learning curve. So I'm very, very thankful that within my newfound Jewish family that they've been very accepting of me and very accepting of my family. And because we're both trying to find the same sets of ancestors back in good old Europe, um, I'm really appreciative of everything that they're teaching me about kind of the Jewish religion and naming practices and the different kind of records that you could that you can search for. Uh, same thing with uh, my Native American ancestry, having really good conversations with people who, you know, it's a challenge. You know, before the arrival of Europeans, you're talking about a very oral history of people. You know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. There are no written records. Um, so again, that's another kind of uh, skill set that, that I'm having to learn. Right. Um, so you know, a lot of times we, we get outside of our, our comfort zone. I suppose, what, what would fall outside of your comfort zone, Danya, in terms of if you had to do new research on a completely different group of people, what would, be your, what would take you out of your comfort zone? Um, Native Americans. I haven't been able to do that yet. And, and I know that I have Native American research, so I'm really glad that you um, have a, a a little background on it. Um, but yeah, Native American, because the the story in my family is the story in my family is that my mother's my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's father is full blooded Native American, but yet my mom has like maybe point. I think she has like not point. It's at least one. It's, I think it's like 1.1% 1. 1 DNA listed as Native American, which from what I've been told is a very small amount. Um, and I, I don't see why her DNA, why hers wouldn't be larger, why her percentage wouldn't be more, because that's her grandfather. So why would she not have more a, a, a more percentage of it? But yeah, it would be my Native American. That would take me completely out. Like, oh my God, I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. Well, again, to give you an example of what I'm struggling with at the moment, I'm trying to research a Saponi um, ancestor. I can't even say North Carolina. This is what I'm going to explain that's kind of fried my head a bit. I'm trying to apply white European colonial genealogical practices or realities 
to Native American people. And, you know, we're talking about someone who lived, was probably born the latter part of the 1600s and lived to about 1730. Mm -hmm. So that earlier part of his life, there were no count, there were no counties because there wasn't a North Carolina territory. There weren't even there weren't even Europeans in that part of like Virginia, Tennessee. So what I'm struggling with is, you know, at the at the very basis of genealogy, we're always working with records that are tied to a town. That's a place that is always there. And a county, you know, we've talked about, you know, county boundaries will change, county names will change. But when you're talking about really early Native American history, there's none of that. They didn't have a, you know, Native Americans didn't have that European sense of place. You know, I guess you would almost call it their territory. Some of their territories could be huge. So you're ta trying to research someone that you know was in North Carolina for a point. Mm -hmm. But during the spring, their hunting party may go up to Kentucky or Tennessee or even, right. even further north than that before they would start to go back in, in the wintertime back down to a much more mild climate. So how does genealogy, you know, so how would a European-centric genealogy even begin to attack something like that in terms of research? So that's where right. I'm at the moment, and that's the kind of guidance that I'm trying to get from people who know a whole lot more about Native American ancestry and research than I do. Right. So let me ask this question real quick. Um, first of all, I need to know from those that are listening in, is Brian moving for y'all? Because he's not moving for me. <laughs> he's like frozen, but I hear him just fine. And then, um, and now it looks like I've frozen. And then secondly, I have a, a message from, Deborah Singleton, she says, just broke down a brick wall that I have been working on, let me see, for the past year, found another cousin who has been around the family as a friend. This happens to be my brother's best friend. Deborah, that, that happens so often. Oh, so Brian's not moving? Because I think they just said no. Brian, I think you've frozen, but can you hear him? Oh, wow. Yep, he's gone. <laughs> so we're going to have him come back. He's going to um, add himself back on. But yeah, Deborah, that has happened to, to us. So let me tell you, I have um, a friend who I've known since I was a, like, in what was then called junior high school. And and his name is Brandon. and um, Brandon was so close to me. We went to junior high and high school together. He was so close to me that my mother actually gave him a key to the house. He could come in my house anytime he wanted. He was like a brother. He wasn't even a friend. And you know, he was he was beyond friendship. He was like a brother to me. Yeah, guys, he's gone. So okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's taking too long or what have you, but he he's gonna have to um He's going to have to log back in and he's he's showing up now. Give me a second. Hold on. And then I'll go back to my story. Hi, cousin. There you are. <laughs> it's always me. It's always me. <laughs> That's OK. That's OK. So anyway, Karen, had, I mean, not Karen. Deborah had made a comment about how she um, had met some 
learned that somebody who was her brother's best friend is actually their family member. And I was giving them an example. And I don't think I, I think I did tell you this, but um, so like I was saying, my friend Brandon, he's like been my friend forever since we were like 13 years old. And um, just recently when I did my book last year, he, we found him again and he came to my book signing and we were talking, he came to my mother's house first. And when he came to my mom's house and we were talking and everything and he, he was just, you know, just having a conversation and he was talking about how he travels back home and everything. And my mother said, Oh, you go back to Virginia beach. He was like, Oh, he said, yeah, I do. I don't do that as often, but that's not what I was talking about as far as home. And she said, well, where? And he said Greenwood. And we looked at him and like Greenwood, Greenwood, South Carolina. He said, yeah. And I'm telling you guys, because I believe what I believe that the entire the, the entire area is related. Um, I was I couldn't believe it. I was like, Brandon, you're my cousin. He was, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I explained to him. So he started giving, I asked him for information and I wanted to do some research on his family. And lo and behold, that Brandon is my cousin. This guy, like I said, you guys, he has been in my life since I was 13 and I am 47. Well, I'll be 47 years old um, in March. And that guy is one of my closest friends. Like I love him so much. And now he's like he comes to our he comes to our house for Christmas now, and um, not that he would not have if he didn't know, but it's family. He's always been family. He's always been a part of my family. He's always been something different about him. So yeah, I definitely know that kind of story, Deborah, from doing that. Well, even where I live, find out that one of our next door neighbors is probably a family member with roots in either Greenwood or Edgefield. And it was all just, hmm. you know, and it's all just by a last name. Oh, your last name's so and so. You wouldn't happen to have roots in South Carolina? Yes, I do. Oh, whereabouts? Oh, Abbeville, Newberry, Greenwood, Edgefield. Yeah, we're co we're cousins. We're gonna be cousins. That's family. That is family. Um, so we got another person named Stacy. She says hello from Dallas. So we got Dallas in the house. Whoop whoop. I have hello. we have family in Dallas. <laughs> we do. <laughs> We have a lot of family in Dallas and San Antonio. Yes, Texas is, is, is strong in our genes. Yes, sir. Oh. <laughs> um, but again, I guess, you know, while, while we're kind of chatting and waiting for people to kind of ask their genealogy questions, and again, please, please do. Um, if you're looking for guidance, advice, suggestions, feel, feel free to ask. That's what this hour is going to all be about. It's all about you guys. Um, but to give you another real world example, so Donnie and I always talk about how some of what we do is guided by the ancestors. And at the moment, I don't know who to blame upstairs for what I've been through over the last week, but I'm researching my Harrisons um, in South Carolina. Um, one, because I was curious whether or not there was any link between my South Carolina Harrisons and my Virginia Harrisons. Turns out it doesn't look as though there is. But what we're finding is the Harrisons in Edgefield County are beginning to play a very large part and part of our enslaved family's history. So I'm trying to find out more information about this chap called Colonel 
Leroy Harrison. Now, he's a colonel. He fought in the American Revolution. I've seen his, his you know, daughters of the, sons of the American Revolution paperwork, as it is. No one knows who this man's parents were. Now, the interesting thing is, one of the reasons why I'm trying to really dig into Colonel Leroy Mundy is there's a lot of Mundy-Harrison marriages going back in England, carrying on in Virginia, carrying on in South Carolina. These people married each other quite a bit. You would think it would be really, really easy to find out more information about this man, because it is going to fill in some, some holes in our Edgefield research. I mean, I've pretty much exhausted all the kind of online research. So, you know, we, we talk about coming up with a research strategy. So now I know that at some point, I'm gonna have to add this man to the list of people that I need to research once I actually go down to Edgefield. This yeah. you know, part of this strategy really is gonna have to go to a courthouse, go to the library, go to the archives um, to dig around in the materials that they have and, finger, and hopefully, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that they will actually have that. But I have, um, I have everything you want to know about him. His will, um, as I said, you know, going going into newspapers.com, I've got about twenty different articles that you know, letters that he wrote, stuff that he posted, stuff people posted about him, you know, wrote about him. So I know a lot about his life, but I don't know the basics. I don't know the names of his siblings because you know our family, white or black, they had kids. They had a lot of yeah. kids. So there's a no way, there's no way on earth he was an only child. And I can't figure out who, who his parents were. And it doesn't make it easy that the name Mundy is spelled a billion different ways. It's spelled like the day of the week, M-U-N-D-Y, M-U-N-D-A-Y. It's spelled all different kinds of ways. Mm. We have a question. We have, mm -hmm. a we have a couple. So the first one is from Karen. Um, Karen's question, let me see. What it, why can't I put this up? They they removed that. Hmm. That's that's weird. Anyway, Karen's question is: uh, she says my first goal at the moment is to organize what I have. Both my sister. Is that gonna do it? There it is. Okay. Says both my sister and I have worked on our ancestry.com materials off and on for the past ten years. In part because of this, everything seems to be a mess. It is in my hands at the moment. So what is the best way to organize when you are reorganizing? Mm, good question. My first response would be, you're going to be aware of kind of what works for you in term, terms of organizing information. So whether you want to have hard copies of things or if you want to keep it all in your, your computer, maybe do it by state. Then within you know, your state folder, you would have county folders where your ancestors lived put it in that way, you might want to organize it by family, by surname. Um, I organize by family. Well, I try to, but I actually think I'm going to have to reorganize because our families mix so much. You get to the point where you might take one person out. So, um, yeah, I'm probably going to end up reorganizing. And how I'm going to reorganize, I have no idea. Well, at the moment, with with Edgefield specific, with South Carolina specifically, I'm organizing all of my stuff on you know digitally by county, and then within each county, the town that I know that they first first appeared in. So if I'm looking okay. for 
So if I'm looking for a Peterson who is in Greenwood, I know I just go to my Greenwood folder and I know it's gonna be in there, but that's how my mind works. That's what works for me. Um, it's all yeah. about kind of knowing yourself, understanding yourself, how you process information um, to come up with something that's, that's because at the end of the day, the reason why you want to organize it is so that you can get your hands on something quickly. So right. we know what our thought processes are. So I, I, hope right. that, I hope that was a good answer for you. Okay, then we have another um, question. Well, first we have, you know, we spoke to Smith Stacy, and then she says she's originally from Chicago and she has roots in Yazoo County, Mississippi. And I know where that is. I attended Jackson State. Um, so I actually know where Yazoo is. And then we got another message from... Oh, before, before we leave that one. Now, Stacy, I don't know if that's a question, but one thing, it sounds as though your, peop your people might have gotten caught up in that either the first or second wave of migration out of the South to the North. What I would suggest for you is having a really good idea of the timeline of when your people started leaving uh, Mississippi going to wherever they went to outside of Mississippi, understanding where the different branches of the family landed up in say the 1920s, 30s and 40s, because I can guarantee you, you will start finding other family members from your extended family going to the same places. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, then we have another person by the name of Katrina Rowe. Hers is really funny because she's excited that she finally caught the live show. <laughs> <laughs> she says she says i finally caught the live show so i'm so glad you caught the live show katrina that's awesome um but then she did ask the question she um wanted to know if either of us have found ellison's e-l-l-i-s-o-n-s -L -L -S -S, in our trees either from mississippi or south carolina so my question to you is what part of south carolina um, Katrina, we would we would have to have a little bit more information. I know I haven't seen Ellison's, um, but you gotta understand my tree is is a mirror of Brian's, but I only add the people once we confirm them. Whereas Brian's tree is our overall working tree, so his tree is gonna be larger than mine, and his tree is definitely in the six figures at this point. Whereas mine is, I think, knocking on the 10,000 figure door, the, the five digit door. So as of right now, no, I have not seen that name, Ellison's. Have you, Brian? Um, not in Mississippi or South Carolina. I do have Ellison's in Northumberland County, North Carolina, as well as Halifax. And I also have Ellison's in Goochland, York, and Chesterfield in Virginia. Okay. Yeah, in Virginia, able, I saw that. Haven't been able to make a link between the North Carolina and the Virginia lot, but that, that's where my Ellison's are. Uh, okay. oh, De Deborah's had a, Deborah Singleton's had a good question. Yesterday, a DNA first cousin sent a message to me, which was a shock. Uh, she is adopted on her first blood relation she's found. Uh, a new brick wall because I don't know what aunt or uncle gave her. So that's something that Donnie and I both have practice with dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. I mean, I have one um, 
she wasn't adopted, but I have one cousin who doesn't mind me sharing her story. Um, but let me see. Okay. You said a new brick wall because I don't know what aunt or uncle gave her up. I know she is on my paternal side. This is going to be a job trying to help her find her bio parents. So I guess my first question is on the adopted papers, um, whoever gave her up for adoption filled out information. And the information that they that they filled out, it, it lets you know something about the parent, but without telling the name. So for, for in my instance, um, my cousin, her, it was her mother that gave her up for adoption. And um, her mother made sure that we would be able to find out who her father was but gave very little information about herself. So I think the first thing that I'm going to ask you, Deborah, is how much information was placed on this particular adoption paper. And if you haven't gotten the paper, you need to find it. Because since now that you found out that she was adopted, do you have the information what company, you know, um, adopted her out? Which company did the parents go through? Like, did they go through Catholic Charities? Um, did they go? Did they go through the courts? How was that done? Was she abandoned? Do you have any of of that information? And then once you have that, I think that's the way to go. Now for me, it was easier because the mother put so much information about who ended up to be my uncle. Um, because they put so much information about him down, I was actually able to narrow it down to him. But we still don't know who her mom is. And at this point, I don't, she doesn't really want to know. My question to you would be based because you've had more experience of, I've only had a recent experience of this. You've had more. This is going to, you know, this this could potentially be opening up a can of worms because obviously given up for adoption and whoever, you know, the parents figured we'll never hear from them again. Obviously, we know, you know anyone who's following adoption kind of groups on Facebook knows kind of what's happening. So, and this is only, you know, we're only talking about it. We're not suggesting that this is what anyone does. Would you actually work with the adoptee first to try to figure out who their, their birth parents were? Or would you start preparing your family saying, well, you know, I've done this DNA test and I have a first cousin who's appeared. She's, you know, he or she has contacted me. I'm just letting you know that this has happened? Would you you do the research first or would you actually prep your family for the finding that's gonna come down the pipeline? When it first happened, I didn't even have the opportunity to prep my family. Um, So I I was working with her and we kind of hashed things out just like over the phone. It was so quick and so it was really fast with her because they, like I said, her mom had given very little information about herself, but as much information as she could without saying his name um, for, for that side of my, for my mother's brother. So that it, it all happened so fast. But then once we figured it out, I was able to go directly to his, to his family 
and talk to them first as opposed to talking to everybody. Um, because I feel like it's 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 his family that should let everybody know or should tell people stuff. Even though you have family that talk, you know, um, I still feel like that's that's the direction it should be. Um, does it work that way all the time? No, because I still to this day don't know how the rest of my family kind of found out because it wasn't me. But everybody in the family does know now. Well, I guess for, for me, the challenge would always be because we want to be respectful. You want to be respectful to, to everyone who's in, involved um, in the story. So on the one hand, you're talking about probably a large group of people who know nothing about this because they, right. you know, we didn't, none of us knew because it was the it was the biggest shock to me to find a first cousin on my mom's DNA list. Like I was like, hold up now. I know I have a huge family. I know that my my mom, for those of you that don't know, my mother is the baby of 14 people. So <laughs> she's the youngest. So I and then she had a sister who had just in her family alone over a hundred people back in 1996. That woman's family, that aunt's family is now well over 250, 300 people by themselves. So my family is unnecessarily large. It's like, un, it just, it doesn't make any sense for them to, it, to be that many people in one family. I don't even get it. It's crazy. So to find out but the, the thing about it is, is that because I had been doing my research, I found out that I actually knew every last one of my first cousins from the oldest to me, because I'm the youngest of the first cousins of the grandchildren. And I knew every last one of them. So for her to pop up as my first cousin, I was like, what? Because it, it, it happened on 23andMe and it was saying, you know, this person is your niece talking about my mother because I'm not on 23andMe, my mom is. And it was saying, this person is your niece. And I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense because I know all my first cousins, so who is this? So it was it was really it was really um, yeah, it was shocking. It was it was extremely shocking to find that out. Um, and I, I don't you know, and, and then my family I think I can't, I don't know if they were shocked about it or if they just wanted to continue to keep it a secret. Like, I'm, I'm not really sure if they didn't, I don't know. So it's up to them to talk about it. I don't, I don't say her name. I don't, you know, but I deal with her. Yeah. I love her so much. I think she's great. Um, I deal with her, her daughter. Um, I think her story is just awesome, but unfortunately, I can't be the one to tell it. But I can tell you guys, her story is is one for the books. It's it's an awesome story, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I yeah, it's, it's something that I wish the, the big DNA testing companies would would address. Because you take you know, it is fun. Um, DNA testing can answer a lot of questions, but you can you will get non-paternity events, um, adoption. People find out that they were adopted and had no clue that they were adopted. You know, I, I feel as though there, there is an onus and a responsibility on them to almost have like a 
counseling service. You know, I'm expecting these results and wait a minute, I just found out that one of my parents isn't my parents or that I just found out that I was adopted. Right. Like that, um, I just had my first taste of this last week, phoned up Donia going, you are never going to guess what just happened to me. I've got right. a second, I've got a second cousin who popped up on my, um, my DNA results. Um, I know exactly what part of the family that he falls upon. Speaking with family members, you know, we have a pretty good idea of who his grandfather was, but I wrestled. It's like, well, I kind of, I know that I have the partial answer to the question that you're probably grappling with, but I don't know what stage they are, they are on in their own personal journey. Were they aware that the father, right. or their mother, the father of their mother wasn't the biological father of their mother? I don't know what they know. So right. I've, I've taken the position, I'm not going to reach out to them because I don't know where the, pro where the process they are with this self-discovery. I'm happy for them to approach me, and that's what I'm waiting for. Because um, I know that of all the family members that they match, the likelihood is I'm going to be the person that they're going to contact. Do you know the right. name of my, you know, do you know, know the name of my grandfather? So I've already had those very quiet background conversations with my own family. Because um, again, it was news to most of us. Some of the family knew, but it was it was news to certainly the the greater majority of us. Um, yeah. But it is tricky, you know. You are reminding, you know, even though all of the main players in this story have been long dead, the fact is they wanted something to be kept secret, and now it's no longer secret. Right. It's no longer secret because of DNA. Well, Mary Wright had a question. She says, "I have." A lot of genealogy holes to fill. And then she says, anyway, I had some people show up on 23andMe with the surname Turnip Seed. That is the weirdest name ever. I've never heard that name before. <laughs> but it's Turnip Seed. And she said, I couldn't believe the name, but typed in the, the name on Ancestry.com and came up with one person. And her tree had people from South Carolina. Have you heard that name before? No, ma'am. Never. <laughs> no I have, way. I have nearly a hundred thousand people, hundred and thirty thousand people in my tree. I have never, not even a census return. I have never yeah. seen that name. So hopefully, flipping the script on that because it is a very distinctive, very unusual name. Hopefully, that it'll be easier for you to to trace, as opposed to say if their last name was Smith, Jones, Brown, Green. Right. Now, I'm just going through the comments. Um, <laughs> so we got Itoli Forbes, who's out of Edgefield. He runs the um, one of the Edgefield. Uh, put the put the name up, please, for Edgefield, the group that he runs. And I'm in it. And he said, Edgefield folks do that. I had some doubts. My sister took a DNA test and Ancestry says she's my first cousin confirming the things I heard. So, and he's right, Edgefield folks do do that. Like my grandmother, um, my, actually my, my grandmother's mother had a um, listed on the census record that one of her grandchildren was an adopted son, but come to find out he wasn't. He's her daughter, he's one of her daughter's children. So yeah, he's right, Edgefield does that. Um, it's it's crazy, but they do. And well, the then we have, that, 
the other, the other, well, the other two things that Edgefield does, which is the bane of all of our existences, is one, we have to do a lot of work with, with obituaries. It's actually part and parcel of how we have to research our family in Edgefield. Now, on the one hand, it's really lovely that people with multiple marriages, and they, they were married, were having kids with, within their multiple marriages by their different spouses. But in their obits, everyone is claiming each other as full siblings. Now, with the boys, it's not so necessarily bad because their last name, they, you know, they took the last, most of them took the last name of their father rather than their stepfather. With the girls, it is a nightmare because if a woman married three different men, had children by all three men, and then we have a Jane who clearly married, so she's going to have a different last name anyway, it's hell. You have to find her obit to figure out who she was claiming, who her, you know, the person who wrote her obit was claiming as her father. Not to mention the fact that you have those children who love their step-parents and they tend to change their name to their step-parents' name and yep. they do it more than once. So if I am a Williams and then my, my stepfather is a Sheffy, I'm going to change my last name to Sheffy because I love him so much. But then my mom turns around and she marries a Johnson and I love him too. So now I'm getting ready to be a Johnson. And this is what we had going on in Edgefield with the Talberts, the Tol Talbert Tolberts, Yeldells, Freeman, Harrison, Mackeys. I wanted to smack them all. So <laughs> it was just the, the, the worst nightmare ever. So then we yeah. have some more um, uh, comments. Just, just uh, the second one I wanted to mention was also something to watch out for, which we've experienced unofficial family adoptions. Huh. So, you know, someone's, um, you know, sibling and their spouse might have died in a tragic accident or, you know, something horrible happened to them. They didn't go through an entire formal adoption policy. Yeah, we've got room. Bring them. And again, that can evolve a name change. The person, you know, the adoptee might take the name. If they weren't already sharing the same, same surname, we'll change their surname. So when we're looking at an 1870, 1880 census, we think we have all the kids for those people. Well, the chances are one of them might be unofficially adopted. So again, yeah. that's always for us in our work in that particular part of the country. That's something that we always have to be mindful of. Yes, yes. So um, we have people, you know, responding to different situations. I think Paige... Anna McGann, she is in the same ex um, situation as Deborah with the adoption. Um, Deborah has stated that the name that was given, she said she, the lady gave her the hospital name, the date of birth, and that it was in Texas. So that's all that she has up there. Um, Deborah, well, all I can, all I can say is that you guys have to if. It's got to be a way that the maybe the hospital knows because it, it was it the hospital that put put the child in the in the DHS service. You know, did, did this person, this child go into Department of Human Services? Somebody has to know the the lines of how the adoption happened. And you're going to have to yeah, find that out first. And again, adoption laws will differ state to state. Some states, when they seal those records, that's it. They're sealed. Yeah. All you will have to work on, work with, is um, DNA. Uh, you know, so like I said, 
there's a whole kind of sliding range of how different states deal with adoption. So not only will you need to understand what the current adoption laws are, you will have to understand what the adoption laws at the time of the adoption were. Right, right. Now, Paige was saying she was agreeing with you. She said she needed counseling after her ancestry DNA results. And she was she just says very much needed. So I don't know what you found out, but I do hope, you know, that you got everything situated and what you found out and if you want to share, you're welcome to share, you know, your stuff. Deborah um, stated that she told her to take a test on Ancestry because most of your family have DNA on that site. So let me let me say something to you about that. That's a very good idea to do that. And um, but you if that's the case, you need to warn your family, those that's already up there. You need to let them know off the break, because if she ends up coming closer. Well, first, let me ask you this question. You said she's listed to you as your first cousin. Some of the things that Brian and I have gone through um, is that one of the things that we know about ancestry is that even though somebody is listed as a first cousin, they could actually be a niece, a nephew, a grandparent, you know, or something like that. So you need to first figure out as far as what the DNA is, that what the CMs are saying what the number is because are you sure that's your first cousin that could be your niece and that could be your sister's child or if you have a sibling so those are the things that you you have to look out for um i look like i'm freezing but those are the things you need to look out for to, to figure find first find out so your cms you can find there's a chart on ancestry.com.com like right up underneath your names where it says the first cousin, second cousin, it's a, like a little question mark or a little I for information. And it's a, if that chart tells you what the range is for parents, um, grandparents, identical twins, fraternal twins, and, and so on and so forth. Because Ancestry doesn't name aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, you have to go by that chart. Look at that chart, Deborah, and see what our CMs are compared to yours. You know what and how many segments you guys bounce off of, because you might not need to go too far, <laughs> to be honest, as far as doing your research is concerned. Now, my only wrinkle on that one is that I don't know if where your ancestors were living was an urban place, a very large town or very rural. I'm going to suggest that if it was in a very rural location, you're going to have to also factor in the level of cousin marriages that were going going on. To give you right. an example, Dong and I are related at least now seven or eight different ways. For fourth cousins, we share more, far more CMs and SNPs than fourth cousins should. Just but that's share. because our family were just marrying with each other to a ridiculous level. Right. Right. So then Tracy Gaines has turnip seed is related to the McGee's. Okay. It's her family. She said, my grandmother's sister gave up a child. My grandmother shared this info with my brothers and I. She said, my aunt's granddaughter found me looking for info. I did confirm for her that we are cousins. The problem is my aunt's oldest son thinks we are lying. Wow. 
I feel bad that he won't speak with his sister and nieces. Her DNA results match her to all of our cousins who took the ancestry test. I wish I could see how she is listed on his ancestry results. How should I introduce our lost now found relative to the rest of the family? I don't want to disrespect him, nor do I want our newfound cousin to feel unloved. How should I handle this? Girl. That is a question. And and unfortunately, it's it's one that's gonna you you have to know your family. So I mean that's what I'm going through with my cousin. Like it's not that some of my family members um don't want to know her. They just don't want to disrespect the one that we grew up with. So they don't want to feel like, you know, you know, I mean, <laughs> they don't want to feel, they don't want to feel like it's they're they're turning their back on the cousin that they grew up with by welcoming the new cousin that came along because he did what he did to his wife. You know, it's it's like it's it's difficult and you have to know your family in order to know the best way to 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 handle that. You have to know how close knit your family is, what it is, what how they will handle that type of situation if they're going to be open to that. Um I know that my mom, my siblings, they're open to her. I'm not saying my other family isn't but she's not even ready to meet him. So see where you are, see where that particular person is as far as where they are. Are they ready to meet him? Do they want to go forward? Because I mean, this is this has happened a lot in my family. I forgot about the other girl on the, you know, the done side. And um, without saying her name, she doesn't even want to meet anybody else. She was happy with meeting her brother. That was enough for her. So it just, it all depends. You know, it all depends on the family and, and where they stand and, and what they want to do and, and how they want to do it. Um, yeah, and understand, and probably understanding the questions that they have. Because I would imagine if I found out that I was either adopted or that my father wasn't my father and my mother wasn't my mother, my primary interest would actually be finding about the health, the health history. You know, yeah. is, is there anything that I need to watch out for health-wise that run, runs in the family? Yeah, yeah. But you're right, you're right. I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's going to rest on how prepared the other person is, mm -hmm. um, how comfortable he or she is going to be, where that, you know, where they are in this whole discovery process. Because, right. I mean, there's no other way, of, there's no other analogy. It is like having the rug pulled out from beneath your feet, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really. And um, I totally, I'm I'm sorry. You're a girl. <laughs> I thought I didn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I didn't want you to post your um your the name of the group that you um do for Edgefield posted up here so other people will know about it because she has a awesome group that will allow you to help. Well, that definitely helps you find out more about your Edgefield connection. Edgefield is such um it's such a historic place and you guys just have no idea if you end up being connected to Edgefield in any kind of way, you step into magic. And it's it's just it's it's an amazing it's an amazing place. It really is. 
Well, actually, um, for, the, um, for, the, for the person who asked the question about the turnip seed, because I'm just I'm reading the, the kind of conversation that's going on now. One Facebook group that might hold some answers for you or that would be really good to post in is called South Carolina Genealogy Just Ask. Facebook group, rather large Facebook group. Have, yes. a, punt. Have a punt, put your question on there. And, you know, there, there might, I see you're getting some information about the turnip seeds already. Um, yeah, you, might, you, are. you might be able to find out a lot more about the family. Now, South Carolina, it is a bit of a lottery in terms of accessing digital information. Some counties are better than others. Um, most of the ones where Donning and I research um, still have their records and they've digitized, not all of them, but they've digitized quite a few of them. Barnwell, mm -hmm. Barnwell as an example, has digitized hardly anything. Right. So, you know, if we need to research an ancestor in Barnwell, we will have to physically go to Barnwell um, to access those records. What do you know about the records for, um, I'm not, I haven't really done any research in Lexington. Have you? No, Lexington, Lexington is not, well, no, we haven't gone to Lexington at all. We haven't done anything for Lexington because we're not even, it's not, it's not within the 96. No. So, you know, and even though we have searched outside of the 96, because Darlington County is outside of the, Darlington is outside of the 96. Um, and But we had a lot of family that moved to Darlington. I have not really seen our family move to Lexington. So if I had to like do a hand movement, we, we're like from here and then goes all the way down and around into Orangeburg, Spartanburg, and then, you know, into Georgia. So th that's, we kind of cut off about a third of South Carolina. Yeah, that whole kind of eastern South Carolina bit, we just we just don't go into. But what I will say is the South Carolina State Archive website has invaluable information. So again, you might be able to find out something about your Lexington turnip seeds on that website. Right, right. So Tracy said the Lost family wants to meet everyone. And she said, I did share our health history with them. We watched our cousin on... TV daily. She's a newscaster. Wow. Okay. Well, um, if if she wants to meet everyone, now you need to talk to your family. Now you need to let them know. You know, when you but when you you know I, I'm gonna take a page from 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 Birdie. Let me. She's the one that lets me share her story, and um, she found out that. Her father wasn't her father through the DNA. And then she had, to, so she had work to do and she stepped up and she did it. And she ended up finding out that she had like 12 siblings. And she has brought her siblings together. She's taken steps in sending letters, um, sending emails, introducing herself slowly to them, understanding, letting them know that, you know, if they don't want to deal with her, that's fine. But she wanted to know who she wanted them to know who she was. And I'm telling you guys, her steps that she took. Um, she's like the go to woman for them now. They they they're all very. She she's working it. She's working it. So. Um, I suggest that you now just kind of, you know, 
maybe it's easier. Do what's easiest for you. Write a letter to the family saying, listen, this is what it is. Show documentation as to how this person is related. Let them know that you do have, you know, definitive proof that she is who she's supposed to be. And this is why. Well, and, the, um, the, the analogy that I would have is the very first time that I met white Sheffy DNA cousins. And actually, they were the first white DNA cousins that I had actually ever met. So everyone, everyone was really, really nervous. They'd never even heard, they, they hadn't even heard a whisper that they had black people or people of color who were their, 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 their family members. So the fact that I popped up on DNA test results was a bit of a shock. Easy to figure out who the common ancestor was. But what we agreed to do was, you know, they suggested um, a mutual, sorry, um, what's the word that I'm like, a neutral space for us to meet. We met up for lunch. And, you know, in the ancestral town of the Sheffies in Southwest Virginia. But, you know, they suggested a really nice restaurant. We met up for lunch. Um, it was awkward. There, there, there's no other way to describe it. That, you know, the first couple of minutes was awkward. You know, you're meeting family that you didn't even know that you had. You know that the common link was slavery. So that was going to be awkward just to start with. But we got on like a house on fire to the point, you know, their family, we're their family, they're our family, um, we're tight, you know, lots of love for each other. Um, but I thought that that was a very, very good call to meet in a very neutral space, um, get over the initial awkwardness and then just kind of kick back chill and just really get to kind of learn, learn about each other. And the funniest thing was all the quirks that I thought were just unique to my family. I'm like, oh my God, that is such a chefy thing. Oh my God, that's such a chefy thing. Um, and we just cracked up about it. So let me ask you a question that might be, and you tell me if I'm wrong for asking it, you know, but you know me, I'm a blunt person. <laughs> um, I mean, I am, I am. So let me ask you, do you think that it was easier for you guys to meet up because you're lighter, you're fairer skinned? And even though it was awkward, were you able to get past that a little bit more quickly because of the fact that you were more fair skinned than let's say if it was me. I don't know if complexion came into it. I think they were pretty confident that we weren't going to be jerks and we were pretty confident that they weren't going to be jerks. We, because we'd already spoken on the phone and we'd had those kind of initial emails and it was never even discussed. We just didn't discuss slavery. We didn't discuss how, you know, the, we knew it. We knew how it happened. We knew how we were related. I don't, know, I don't know the circumstances. I don't know if it was consensual or forced. I mean, she had five kids by this man over, you know, over quite a period of time. Um, not that that actually means anything, but I think because we had already kind of hashed out the how and the who and the when, kind of open it up to us to just kind of get to know each get to know each other as people but that is a good question um it's because i'm so used to being in my skin i don't think about the complexion of my skin it may have done i don't know i think maybe what might have made it easier is we look alike you know you've commented on it you put you know you put up a picture of my white 
DNA cousins and my side of the family, and you can tell we're related. And I think maybe that sameness, recognizing, seeing part of yourself in someone else's face. Yeah. That might have made that might have made things easier too. Yeah. Okay, so Karen says, um, my father's family was a mess. Aren't all our daddy's families a mess? But <laughs> she said he never knew his father. He never knew who his father was. His sister didn't grow up with her dad. And then she said, Grandma married a second cousin. They, they never had kids, but he eventually becomes the father on various documents. So my father has his name. His sister, my aunt, had lots of kids with different men and moved back in with her mother. Grandma was also a foster parent for over 25 years. At any father's sister's seven kids. No one knows anything about anyone's origins. My God. I've just taken the ancestry test and am waiting for those results. So far, I have a second cousin on my dad's side who just wrote me and wants to help, if possible, with the Virginia relatives. People are dead or dying on this side of the family because we are older now. Do what do what you can before there's no one to ask. Karen, you can that cannot be a better comment to do what you ask, do what you can before you can't ask. That that's what I, you know. I started researching when I was like, I'm, I'm in my early twenties, and even then, the people that I needed to ask had already been gone. They were already gone. So people like my my aunt, my aunt Janelle, um, my uncle John, my grandparents. These were folks that knew, like they really knew my uncle Tommy. They knew everything I had to do, everything I learned about my family. I had to do it on my own. And my uncle John was great to ask because he actually did research. He he found stuff that took me 20 years to get to. And he was finding this stuff in the 60s. Now, how he did that is a mystery to me, but he did it. And I just got to where he is or where he where he left off. But, you know, people like him, I, I couldn't ask him. I could I wasn't able to talk to him about it. I wasn't able to talk to my grandparents because these people died before I was even born. Like, my my grandparent my grandmother died before my mom was even a teenager. My mom wasn't even a teenager when her mother died. So it, it's it's like you're absolutely right. You have to ask ahead of time. You have to find out what's going on in your family so that you can pick it up and go from there. So this is why I have to figure out my organization or on how to reorganize this stuff because when I leave this earth, whoever wants to pick up my stuff, you know, um, it's going to be there for it's already going to be laid out. And with that being said, Brian, I want to say this. Every genealogist that's on this group or every family research history person or whatever you consider yourself to be, make sure you got a backup person if you leave this earth. Because you don't want all the work that you did to just die. Yep. Yep. And, and I'm so afraid of that for myself, 
Um, I don't know what's going on with my cousin's stuff who, you know, our cousin Sheila who passed. I don't know what's going on with her stuff. I don't really know what's going on with um, with Gail's stuff. And they had unbelievable amount of information. They were such a resource for me. And, it, and now they're not here. And I, I've done a whole research for a client who ended up being related to Gail. If she was here, <laughs> the stuff that I could have given this person, but she's not here now, and I don't know who's doing her stuff, and it's it's just crazy. But make sure you have a backup. I I just want to say that make sure Brian is my backup. He and already Donnie, knows, and Donnie is mine. But what I was gonna I want his stuff. <laughs> but what I was gonna suggest to Karen is if she hasn't done so already, this is a really brilliant thing to actually write up. Because 70, 80, 150 years from now, you don't want a family genealogist trying to untangle all of that. Right. Like, what, like what I did with Eula Talbert. Dong and I have an ancestral cousin. Her name was Eula Talbert. She had two marriages. The two men that she married had multiple marriages. And in all of their obits, all of their children were claiming they're half brothers and sisters, like they were full-blooded brothers and sisters. It took Donnie and I a week to unthread that Gordian knot of hell. Trying a to week a bottle of Tylenol. Yeah, that too. But what I did is I actually, and funnily enough, what it looked as though the poor woman had had about 20 children. Come to find out she was the mother of none of them. They all no. called her mom but she was not the biological mother of any of them. Yeah. So I've, so I've written all of that up. It's in my file. So like I say, 80 years from now, someone looking at the family tree going, what the heck is going on here? It's yeah. done. It's all explained. It's who goes with whom? Who got married when? What child goes with what set of parents? Yeah. So Mary writes said that, you know, she agrees. She said if her mother, she probably would know a lot more. And there are so many questions. And then she also says, I have a whole family, mainly from North Carolina, that I know nothing about, from close family to fourth cousins. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that's how it, that's how it goes. That's definitely how it goes. And yeah. Katrina says she researches Anderson in North Carolina. Girl, well, we got Andersons. I don't know if they're in North Carolina, but <laughs> <laughs> we have them. We know we got them. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Again, North Carolina is just one of those really interesting nexus points because a lot of people were coming in, especially if mine is anything to go from, a lot of people were coming in from Virginia. A lot of people were coming in from Maryland. And it made sense when they were doing it. A lot of them got their lands fighting in the American Revolution. They got the land grants and they moved because land was becoming really expensive in Virginia and North Carolina. And again, our ancestors didn't do things on a whim, especially back then. You know, they really, really thought about what their next move was going to be. And there was always a reason to do that. So as land was becoming more expensive to the north, they were starting to get it going further south. I mean, I even had people coming in from Pennsylvania either going to Kentucky and Tennessee or coming down into North Carolina. Once they hit North Carolina, it goes one of two ways. They either go into South Carolina, because we have a lot of North Carolina family that just went right over the border, right into Edgefield, well, Old 96, 
as it was mm -hmm. back then, or they started tentatively making the foray down into um, to Georgia, right. which I got, which at that point, 1720s was still pretty much a wilderness. Right. And then you got people like Moses Williams, who was having children in Virginia, North Carolina and South Carolina. Yeah. So, I mean, did you know, Brian, that Jane, Moses Jr.'s daughter, on one census, it actually has her listed being born in North Carolina and all and the other two that I have for her has her in South Carolina. Yeah, I've seen it. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> and it's, I, yeah. And it's, it's not impossible because, again, Moses Sr. was in Virginia. He was in um, North Carolina. And he was in South Carolina. And I believe we found that deed where Moses Jr. was a baby, where we first saw the first age for him. Where were they? Were they in Virginia or North Carolina? North Carolina. Caswell, specifically, they were in Caswell. North Carolina. So that means it is all possible that Jane could have been born in North Carolina because yep. Moses Jr. was there. And depending on when they left, is it, it makes the difference as to when he had his first, how old. You know, it's, well, it's just amazing. The, the whole again, thing is Because again, remember this, and this, this is where deeds are really, really, can be really important. Remember all those provisional deeds that the colonial enslaving Williams family raised during the Revolutionary War when they were going back, when Daniel Williams and Ursula was going back and forth between Edgefield and North Carolina. Right. People, it is the craziest thing you will ever see. You, can, you know the British are coming in South Carolina, so they picked up their kids, their enslaved people, went to their family in North Carolina, British are coming into North Carolina. They picked up the kids, the enslaved people, went back to South Carolina. And literally, through the duration of the Revolutionary War, yeah. these people were going back and forth. So, yeah, it is absolutely conceivable that that Jane was born in North Carolina. It could yeah. have been in that transition period where they were literally ping-ponging back and forth. Yeah, yeah. But, Brian, do you know that it is 5.07? I was going to tell you that about two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh good oh, yes. um, this to be a really great show um, I'm glad we were able to answer some questions for people and I do hope we were able to you know get some stuff out there uh, ooh someone's got a, oh Stacy has lock layers we have lock layers mm. we have lock layers because they married the Richardsons and the Williams Yes, so we have them in uh, Pasquanic and Caswell. We have them in both. We have them in both places. Not yeah. an easy family to research, um, nope. by the way. <laughs> Matter of fact, Caswell is in Halifax County, isn't it? North Carolina. Close. To, I think it's the next county down next county. over. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then um, Katrina, let's, let's say these last things. Katrina says somehow my Ellisons and Andersons ended up in Louisiana, then finally Arkansas. Well, honey, that's the that's the that's the track. Um, <laughs> that's because we 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 don't know how our families like we know that we have really high DNA ties to Mississippi and Louisiana and Arkansas. The Arkansas one, we kind of have an idea, 
because we do know that around Christmas Eve in 1880, a large number, they say 5,000, but I think it might have been more, but um, they said about 5,000 African-Americans left the Edgefield area and um, went to Arkansas. So we kind of know that, but it's the Louisiana thing that we don't know. It's, it's how we connect to Louisiana and Mississippi. We're, it's just, it's literally throwing us off. And we haven't even seen our families go that direction yet. We've seen our families go north. We haven't seen our families go that way. So we know it, we have an idea that it has everything to do with the slave trade um, and that's how they got there. And then the fact that our Martha Brooks was a breeder, you know, some of her kids could have been taken there. I have a third cousin straight out of Louisiana, had no clue how, don't know. Well, my mom has a third cousin. That's that's going straight. That's that's a great grandparent. That's a great, great grandparent. So that's who that is to her. And they're in Louisiana and we have no idea how they connect. So, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a lot. So unless there's any last minute questions, um, again, sorry, our apologies that um, our scheduled guests couldn't make it today. Um, but we've thoroughly enjoyed answering your questions or responding to your situations and, and scenarios. And hopefully our, our comments were, or insights were helpful. Um, again, with the unexpected DNA family members, it's, it's always going to be a tricky thing. It, it, there's, a, there's just no two ways about it. But if you take a deep breath, as Donnie was saying, if you really know your family, you, you can work your way through it. You can yeah. work your way through it. And I want to I want to um, answer Miss Forbes' last question because I'm glad she brought it up. Um, she asked, "When are they going to start doing the free ancestry testing for Howard University Project?" So the Howard University Project is still moving forward, and I didn't really want to say anything, but I, I guess I can. I'm just waiting for like one little thing. Um, we're having a problem with a download. That's it. The consent forms are available, and um, because the consent forms are available, we are we are going to we will be posting the consent forms on the Sheila Hightower Allen DNA page. I want to say by the end of this week, but the problem is is that there's a download problem, and then um, as far as getting the consent form out, so. I got you. I got you, Miss Forbes. She was like, it's a question. It's a question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got you. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we're, we're getting ready. All of that stuff is about to go through, go forward. Um, we still have the money sitting, the money that we raised. We, I, I have that and it's, it's sitting and waiting. Um, first, let's get the consent forms out. Let's, let's start getting that situated. And then once we start getting the consent forms out and back and sending those who have already sent their DNA in, um, we're going to then start working on the grants. And, and then also the money that I've collected will be placed in with the grants and then we'll start moving forward with the, the free testing part. Yeah. So, so um, actually, we we are very close to being over the finishing line. There's a beautiful website that's um just about finished. That's right. still in development. So uh, Donnie said the consent form is is almost there. 
Um, it's a little back and forth on that one, but we're happy with it, and it's it is literally almost ready to um, to be downloaded. So again, Right. it's taken longer than than we thought, but I'm a, I'm a believer. Things happen when they're when they're meant to happen. So Most we're definitely. we're almost there. Um, I'm really excited. I can't wait. Yeah, me neither. I, it's, this has just been, uh, uh, yeah, I can't either. And yes, Ms. Forbes, I will definitely share it on your page. I will, I, I, I will definitely, I'm going to share it on all of the pages, but I want people to know, and I want you to, you know, to let them know that the, the host page is the Shirley Hightower Island DNA page, because that's going to be the one that everything goes back and forth through and back and forth to. So, um, but yes, most definitely now that I know, because you're telling me what I consider it, it's not only considered, it will be done. <laughs> and I thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, so, Brian, you want to talk about next the next show? Oh, I was going to leave that to you. Uh-uh, don't do that. <laughs> What's the next one? I tell you what, we'll we'll post it. Yeah, I don't have, my, I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to play. Oh, don't do that. What's the next show? <laughs> I'm trying to Actually, play that. um, oh no, sorry. I thought there was a question, but there is another conversation going on. Yeah, I'll post. I'll post about the next show, I promise, um, Okay. tomorrow. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Again, we apologize, but I'm telling you, once we sit with this person, it's going to be awesome. And I, I don't want you to miss it because she's very, both Brian and I spoke with her today and um, she's really ready to do this. She wants to do this because One of the things that the daughters of the American Revolution want to do, they want to pull people in. They're very community oriented um, and they want to bring if you have a, a, a patriot that you connect to, they want they want you to they want you to connect and they want you to know. And then they want you to be a part of their organization and be a part of the community driven thing that they've done. Um, so I really want I really can't wait to get the get her on on the show. I actually worked there, so she really was going to be on the show, guys, because I work at the Daughters. We just had some some issues, and um, I'm really glad that you guys are. Um, I'm glad you listened in. So just be patient with us as we work forward on it. Actually, um, what the next show is about, and we hope, we really hope that this is going to be very, very useful. Think of it as a genealogical best practice show. We're going to discuss the importance of how and why we use citations, um, how to use sources, how to do proper crediting, all of that stuff. Whether or not you should use a photograph of someone that you didn't take. or you know, that you may not necessarily have permission to use. So all of that kind of best genealogical practice, that's gonna be the subject of the next show, um, which is the 20th, 20th of The January. 20th, 20th of January. So, okay, guys, thank you so much for listening in. Listening in, sorry. Um, Brian, I'm Danya. I'm Brian, so happy to see you here in this new year. Yes, yes. And we, you know, we look forward to, to talking with you guys some more. So see you next time. Bye. Bye.